1: Hey, pull up a chair.
0: It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy.
1: That's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for one race. You know, we've endorsed Dr. Oz, we've endorsed JP, right? JD Mandel. And he's doing great. They're all doing good. Well, there you have it. Uh, He didn't necessarily know his name, uh, but he certainly dragged him across the finish line, uh, Murphy, Uh, uh, Donald Trump, speaking about his candidate who's actually named J.D. Vance uh, in Ohio, who had a pretty big win yesterday. Yeah, you got to give it to him. It was a good day for
2: Trump. I remember JD back when he called me a few years ago, originally about running for office as an anti-Trumper, uh, and then the, the tragic accident with the head injury, and now here he is, <laughs> the, the Trump endorsed. Uh, you know, it was kind of a funny tarantula versus scorpion race. And Robert Gibbs is with us here too. We got a full hacks alert to handle all this stuff. We the bat fired signal up the went hat, out. Bad signal, yeah, right? No, right, and exactly. we all, we all came running. On one hand, you had old J.P. Mandel, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Josh Mandel, who'd run 100 times, used to be state treasurer, was kind of a Romney Republican. Then he saw the, quote, light and became a Trumpy. So it became this Trump versus Trump thing with the third Trumpy guy, Mike Gibbons, who's kind of an uh, angry Dave Thomas type. Uh, and anyway, and then finally you had Matt Dolan, uh, who was uh, kind of the conservative, let's move beyond Trump candidate, who shot up pretty interestingly late. A lot of us were hoping he'd make it. He didn't. He's kind of in a tight third, second. We'll see where it lands with uh, uh, Mandel. So it was a a good night for Trump and a good night for political cynics, because the more you sucked up to Trump, with Vance probably getting the gold standard on that, guess what? You get to be the Republican nominee and a sensible front runner to the U.S. Senate. It's a grim reality of the modern party
1: he got the bragging rights trump but the truth of the matter matters and, and you know uh sarah longwell has a nice piece in the times this morning about this he won already right because all of them were making pilgrimages down to yeah. mar-a-lago and genuflecting and they all had him in their ads uh even after he endorsed vance you know yes but let's not
0: oversimplify um and just say oh he already won because In reality, and I hate to be the bearer of good news for Donald Trump, but, you know, yes, they were all begging at his feet for the endorsement. The person he endorsed was languishing in third, maybe fourth, just a few weeks ago. And because and only because of this endorsement is finishing well ahead of the other candidates in in this multi-candidate primary Murphy, you mentioned all the candidates except one. I think it bears mentioning, even though she only got 6% of the vote, because she was actually Rob Portman, the current senator, uh, and of the the endangered species um, governing wing of the Republican Party. Uh, It gives you a sense of just how much Ohio's changed that Portman's candidate uh Timken got 6% and was never even remotely a factor in this race.
1: Although she made a pilgrimage too, you know, and she was a, she was a very pro Trump state chair.
0: Sure, but I mean it just it it, it interesting in that that I think we can get into the larger just I think Ohio obviously is a much different state, but I think the Republican Party in Ohio is a much different Republican Party than it was. And 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 I know uh, Dewine won, but De- Dewine acted a, a little less like Mike Dewine had acted the last two years.
2: Yeah, but let, let's take this yeah. apart because there's a lot yeah. of data here. Uh, so first of all, there was a, it was the perfect scenario for somebody like Dolan, who was a well-funded, classic conservative, move beyond Trump guy, couldn't break through even with kind of two and a half strong Trumper candidates. So one, you got to give points to Trump; he broke Vance through. Vance also had a $13 million assist from a rich donor who set up a super PAC named Peter Thiel. So I, you gotta score that for Trump. Uh, and I think you are right. And if you look at the county returns, you can see how the Ohio Republican Party, a lot of Republican parties have changed. You know, Vance was first or second everywhere. Dolan did really well in a few of the bigger, more educated counties. And he ran a pretty good second in most of the Northern counties. He's originally from the Cleveland area. Uh, and then Mandel was, uh, did pretty well in the rural counties, but so did Vance. So the, the bottom line is, even though somebody like Dolan can break through, and if Dolan had another week, I think he might have gotten a little farther. I don't know if he would have won. Uh, in those bigger places like Franklin County, Columbus, of course, Cuyahoga County, Cleveland. But in the middle and more rural counties, it is all pure Trump land. Now you can correlate that to Matthews, by the way, if you want to really get depressed as a Republican. But that's where a lot of the votes are. That's where the Trump's base is, and it's still a force to really be reckoned with in a Republican primary.
1: Yeah, and actually, that drug issue was one of the issues that uh, Vance worked. And obviously, he has some history. You know, his hope, his book, "Hillbilly Elegy," uh, talked about. Uh, his own mother's drug abuse and right. drug abuse in these small uh, in these small towns. But he, you know, in this campaign, and the thing about him, I did a podcast. You mentioned that he called you about running as a never Trumper. Uh, I did a podcast with him in two thousand seventeen, and you know, some of the same themes were there, but in a much more uh, thoughtful way. He said positive things about Barack Obama. He, he was uh, he's made a Faustian bargain here. And just to underscore it, here, here was what, uh, one of the quotes that he offered, uh, during this campaign. He was talking to, uh, the, uh, Gateway Pundit, which is a right wing, new, far right wing news site. He says, if you wanted to kill a bunch of MAGA voters in the middle of the heartland, how better than to target them and their kids with this den- deadly fentanyl? He said, and he basically was suggesting that the, the lax, that lacks enforcement at the border was somehow intentional uh i mean that is kind of jumping the shark stuff but that was the tenor of uh uh, of some of his campaign
2: oh yeah in the ukraine stuff i mean it's just one cheap populist applause line after another and he's much too smart he knows better that's the epic tragedy there and one, one final footnote on the numbers and we can move on In the governor's race, Mike DeWine, who is an Ohio regular Republican in kind of the Voinovich tradition, did just fine against Jim Renacci, a congressman who ran as a Trumpy challenger, although not with Trump's endorsement. And, you know, an incumbent Republican governor in Ohio is a hard thing to displace in a primary. But there's some there's some signals there. too. Uh,
1: You know how much I want you to be able to put your head on the pillow and sleep at night but I have to say, Get him, Max. the fact that DeWine, you know, there were three candidates in the race. DeWine got less than 50% of exactly. the vote. Exactly. And that—that uh, that is, you know, so that gives you a sense. But he won. No, he did. No, no, I, I hear you. Double digits.
0: The Mike DeWine in this campaign was not the Mike DeWine that we saw for the last year and a half. This is a very different, very sort of... Like, he, this guy was tacking seriously to the right, and even yeah. in tacking seriously to the right, is he said, his accent got less than 50% of the vote.
2: Yeah, but I'm shocked, shocked in an election a candidate will tack away from the primary
0: base. I've never seen that in the Democratic Party. Be serious about this. It's not like Mike DeWine ran as Mike DeWine of the last two years, right? The sensible, let's push back on Trump Republican that people were focusing on didn't exactly show up in the primary. He wasn't yeah, running out reminding knew. people of, oh, the, <laughs> well, they knew because maybe that's why he got 50%. Yeah, you can't erase three, four years as an incumbent governor and what you've done. What he did do was
2: the tactics of a primary, which is try to head off Renacci and never let him get traction, yeah. which was smart politics. But I think the real Mike DeWine is the Mike DeWine who governed.
1: He, uh, you know, Murphy is a, nos- a nostalgic for the days of DeWine and Roses, but this is a different Democratic oh, party. This is, a diff- this is a different uh, Republican Party. And, you know, so we, everything everybody's saying is true, but the bottom line is it's Trump's yes. party, and we'll see how that plays out. He's going to win some, he's going to lose some. But as in Pennsylvania, for example, where he's put his chips on Dr. Oz, maybe Oz wins, maybe he doesn't win. Yeah. But, uh, but his principal opponent, McCormick, uh, has... You know he's running. Let's go, Brandon! Ads, and uh, you know he's bought into the election uh, live stuff. So that that is the coin. That is the toll that through which Republican yeah. candidates have to the toll booth through. Ha- yeah. They have to. Yeah, pass I don't through. think any
2: of us agree. That's the reality. I think we agree a little bit on the direction it's heading in going forward. But I want to go back to Ohio. Tim Ryan. Kind of a lunch pail Democrat bit old school, a little bit of a populist, maybe a little too much for my taste, uh, but anyway he uh he won the democratic nomination pretty pretty easily he wasn't really contested. a couple of progressives ran against him. Is he toast in this you know environment we've got? is the democratic
1: uh swing state of Ohio gone? If anybody could win this race, it would be a Democrat like Tim ryan he's sort of custom made for Uh, Ohio as Ohio once was he's you know there's a little bit there's a little he's a a maybe a a little bit more moderate than uh, Sherrod Brown on some social issues but he's pretty much a Sherrod Brown populist as you uh, suggest and he does have that lunch bucket uh, Democrat uh, appeal the question is whether there are lunch bucket Democrats yeah exactly
0: this is going to be interesting foreshadowing Around the Sherrod Brown race in 2024, right? Because Brown's up in in two years. Uh, it's a state that Barack Obama won in 2008, probably the high water mark for Democrats by four points. But Trump carried this state in 2020 by nine points. Uh, and to your point, Murphy, if you shift the political environment to the right, let's be let's just say half half of what we think it may be five points. Then you're looking at a considerable deficit. Even though I think what we've said tim ryan is as good a candidate um as you could hope for in a state like this in and in an election like this i I wanted to double click a little bit on jd vance because i think we i think people tend to caricature him as oh this is a guy who's gone from kind of a never trumper to now a pro trumper um I think it's much different and much deeper than that. And 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 you know, I think you said Murphy. He's smarter than some of the things he's saying. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he's smarter, but boy, I I sure think he's bought in. I mean, some of the things you're hearing are not just populist; they're deeply nationalist, and um, and they're they're a level deeper, I think, than just the notion of. Hey, I'll swallow a few cheap applause lines. I think some of the stuff that he's talking about, some of the you know sort of extra constitutional stuff. I think sort of the the ignore the Supreme Court around different rulings that are that that conservatives don't like. The 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 Peter Thiel you were talking about earlier. There was an article in Vanity Fair which you know he he you know he talked about basically the end of America, the decline of America. This idea of we need maybe a dictator. It's a or in or, associates around him, we're talking about this. Th- this is, this is, this is the intellectual energy of where the Republican Party under Trump is going. It's not. I think it's more than just cheap applause lines.
1: Vance is a very ambitious guy, and uh, he's had these aspirations to to public office for a long time. Uh, he's, you know, he. I'm. Sh- there are elements that I'm sure that he believes. There are other elements that I think he is adopting because he's he is basically surveying the marketplace.
0: Yeah, well I think he's gonna be setting the marketplace fairly soon on some of these ideas. That's the watch out that I would say for for Democrats. Again, we think of this as, oh yeah, you know, he's he's just learned a different set of talking points. I, I'm I'm sure he's I think he's overlearned them. He's really more of a Don Junior Trump Republican. He's talked himself into the
2: cutting edge of some of this stuff. I, I agree with that. I think he's convinced himself to believe it and rationalized his way through. And look, there a lot of what we, you know, we, we like to get into the political hackery and everything, but the larger thing is culturally there is a huge appetite for this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's winning those working-class counties. He is likely, not certain, but likely to clean Tim Ryan's clock. And so I think there's a crisis in the Republican Party of folks like this. There's a crisis in the Democratic Party because they can't find a way to offer an alternative that can get these votes and don't seem to be getting any better to me. Uh, The best thing to happen to Trump this year, this election year, is going to be the credit he'll get for the vacuum created by Democratic failures uh, led by Biden's numbers that are going to give the Republicans a lot of easy wins. Yeah, and I just wonder what the internal talk in the your party is about what we do about this because we're going to be losing to guys like Vance.
1: He picked up uh, another win, uh, Trump, because his his old uh, aide Max Miller, yeah, walked in uh, and had and in the process scared two incumbent, uh, mo- you know, center right Republicans yep. out of the, uh, out of the House, including Anthony Gonzalez, who voted for impeachment. Right. So, uh. You know, the, the, all in all, a good day. But in terms of your point, about, I, I listen. As I said, Tim Ryan is uh, custom made to try and get those voters back, but he's fighting against the brand yeah, exactly. uh, of his own party, and that's going to be that's going to be really, really difficult. Well, one way, no, no, but I think th- I think the one thing that you know, the Democratic Party's got to
0: look in the mirror and think through why do we lose. The voters that we're talking about, Vance attracting, as somebody who's a Yale-educated VC, former venture capitalist who's supported by a billionaire venture capitalist. I mean, th- this is not. I mean, I I, I take your point. And I agree with it wholeheartedly, Murphy. I, th- I think the Democratic Party needs to do some genuine soul searching about how and who it's appealing to through its economic platforms through uh through its issue advocacy and i'm not suggesting we go all all cultural conservative on them but i do think there's an and i think this will be interesting for tim ryan there's an economic platform that i just don't think we're as associated with as we need to be uh to win places that are tough like ohio but also quite frankly if you look at some of these you know florida seems to be going away from us Uh, There's some some big states and states that are growing that we're not making a dent in and we're losing at a rapid pace and that's got to be disconcerting not just for 2022, but for 2040. Totally. Of course, Ohio isn't one of those states that is growing. Ohio is one of those states that is sort of
1: shrinking.
2: But but you're getting killed on each end. It's the old Star Wars trash compactor. The losing states are feeling economic pain and rage among the white working class. And they think, frankly, the Democrats aren't on their side. And then the growing growing states, uh, see, the the Democratic Party is threatening their, their upward mobility. So on either side, it's like the answer is not the Democratic Party.
0: Plus one for Murphy with the Star Wars reference on the May fourth podcast. Just I wanted to clear the scoreboard. I, I for thought that. I'd Those... work
2: that in. You know, I'm under I'm under certain pharmaceutical enhancements now. I'm on day thirteen post my left knee replacement. Yeah, yeah. And so I want to take a moment to thank Purdue Pharma uh, <laughs> for for illuminating my thinking here. And
0: he yells, "May the force be with you!" After he swallows every. <laughs> We're afraid pill.
2: to unleash you on them last week. No, no, I I kicked that stuff quick. I'll tell you, people say with knee replacements, everybody gives you the same piece of advice, which is do the physical therapy, which is totally right. But the real piece of advice is don't do what I did and watch Dope Sick 10 days before you get it. Because <laughs> you're afraid to pick up anything other than the Tylenol. and A few of those little Norcos kind of get you through the first couple of days. But anyway, that's a, that's a good watch, by the way. But
0: It's an awesome uh, segue, too. <laughs> yeah, well, let's let's keep going to the right to
2: choose your painkiller. Yes. and take it away, Axelrod.
1: So we had this real cataclysm uh, this week when the Supreme Court opinion draft opinion was leaked, and uh, appears that the court is poised to uh, overturn Roe versus Wade, essentially withdraw a right that women have had in this country—the right to choose—for fifty years. Um, kind of an unprecedented uh, event, and the question is, you guys. What are? I mean, we can talk about the policy implications of it, but you hear that everywhere. But I mean, I really want to get into the politics because there are Democrats. Like I do think this is this is one thing that could energize some of the constituencies that may be
0: absolutely apathetic,
1: apathetic, disinterested in this election, particularly younger voters. Uh, And let me just make this last point to kick off this conversation: CNN poll in January on this issue uh, said that. of people who opposed the overturning of Roe versus Wade, of Democrats who uh, who uh, opposed it. 58% said, uh, of voters under 45, said they would be angry. There were four points on the scale, happy, satisfied, dissatisfied, angry. 58% of Democrats under 45 said they'd be angry. And that's the group that I think the party's most concerned about uh, coming out and participating in this election. The lower, you know, you go in age, the more apathy we've seen. The question is, um, in in uh, in light of the gale force winds Democrats are facing, how much of a difference will that make?
2: Well, I it is a big bundle of politics. First of all, there's no doubt that this will go all the way to the election. It's going to be huge, and it's going to have impacts. First impact, just going through the politics of it all, will be in the suburbs. It'll be a it'll be a wedge issue that has power at every level, because you know now state policy. Every governor is rushing out their statement in any kind of purple state, saying, "Oh, no, no law will change here. Damn it!" Uh, so there will be a big money surge. I think there will be in the suburbs a big opinion weapon for the Dems to go on the offensive with. There will be a backlash in one part of the Republican world, the country club fundraising world, where regular congressmen who kind of, yeah, yeah, I'm pro-life, moving on, let's talk about inflation, are now going to get yelled at. Uh, they're not looking forward to that. You could see that even in McConnell's statement where he just yeah. didn't want didn't to go there. None of the Republicans
1: do, or not, not many of them do. Let's play a clip from Lindsey Graham uh, his analysis, which to me sounds like more like wishful thinking than reality, but this is gives you a sense of where the Republicans are.
0: I don't think this decision by the court, if it holds, is going to change the midterm elections at all, because people are going to vote based on the safety and the well-being of their family, uh, not a Supreme Court decision. <laughs> which is why he spent so long on the Judiciary Committee. No,
2: no. I mean, I think he has incredibly penetrating insight into Greenville south carolina but uh you know lindsey couldn't get arrested as a candidate in bucks county pennsylvania so uh big in the suburbs huge money uh surge of low dollar donations to the democrats money's useful in campaigns uh some trouble inside the republican finance world but there are other grassroots parts that'll that'll be good and finally i think overall and this will not just affect the midterms i I, i'm not sure this senate fight is going to be as simple as people think because back to your point david This court for decades has pretty much been in the business of giving people more rights. Now they're taking it right away. Now they're the elders from Footloose. They're canceling the dance. And the American political culture is not used to being told, no, you can't have that anymore. I don't care if it's an entitlement for the middle class or anything else. So I think there, there's going to be institutional pushback against the court. Who are they to tell me what to do? I mean, you know, we've lost any civil debate in America, any thoughtful debate about constitutional law, which is at the heart of this, by the way. That's all gone. Now it's my team, your team, and you can't take away my thing. And uh, I think the pressure on the Democrats in the Senate to do something about it uh, is going to be immense. So I, I think this is going to be big. Do I think it'll be bigger than the economy and inflation? No, but it, it's a reset. But in
1: marginal races, it could, it could be important, yeah.
2: It's something, yeah. It's big.
0: And now, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, folks, people don't
2: realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. Tell us about it. We're in politics in the modern era. All we do is deal with stress every way. And, you know, it it kills your sleep, makes you eat too much, whether it's financial, work, life, family. Stress will kill you. So... What do you do
1: about it, boys? Stress shows up in all kinds of ways. And in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time, here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that
0: offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Man, I didn't know that was an option for this podcast. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress.
1: Uh, You know, it's not just politics that causes people to be stressed today. There are all kinds of things going on, you guys, that really have people on edge and can knock you off your game. And so the ability to talk to someone and work through those anxieties, that stress couldn't be more important, especially today.
0: Hacks on Tap listeners get 10% off their first month
1: at BetterHelp.com hacks. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com hacks.
0: I think the problem that Democrats had at this point in the election was uh, 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 that apathy that we talked about this, this idea that like, God, it's, it's, things are bad. Nobody on my side's actually doing anything about it. And I don't know why I'm participating in this. Well, now they know why they have to participate in this. And I think what Lindsay may have been trying to say, though I agree with you very wishful thinking is that you, you've already got Republicans knowing why they're coming out and they're excited to come out and vote for th- either their candidates or against uh, the the president, President Biden's candidates. Um, but I don't I think there's no doubt that, that there's some level of enthusiasm and alarm that will drive people to the polls that may not have. Cared enough to pay. pay I don't know
1: if enthusiasm is the right word. I think outrage is the right word. And, you know, the thing about midterms and the reason incumbent parties do so poorly uh, generally is people come out to vote their grievances. Uh, and now there is a huge, huge impetus for people on this particular issue to come out. No, no, and I don't want to get all League of Women voters on you, but oh, God, you no. know, you,
0: you got, you, you essentially, you know, in, in a matter of months, we'll have probably 27 states. That will significantly or completely restrict abortion if this uh if if this decision is handled down hand, handed down that will include probably not having exemptions for rape and incest or maybe even the life and health of the mother yeah. in some of these places, and that's going to be a clarifying event, as Murphy said, for suburban voters, for suburban parents, for um younger voters who all of a sudden are going to realize that this isn't just a big
1: decision by the court. It's a big decision for the court. Where else it's going to make a difference? Because of what you just said, is all of a sudden it transforms some of these governor's races, uh, you know, exactly. places like yeah. Michigan, Michigan and Wisconsin. And-
2: no, it's a lifeline for them because it puts the Republican in the hot seat, where right now the, the Democratic incumbent governors in trouble have had nothing to work with in this environment. Now they got something to work with.
0: So the question is then, how do Democrats take advantage of and work with this? Because I mean, I think the one problem that I've had with the last few months is I think there have been openings for Democrats to start making issues. Now maybe this one is ready made because the Supreme Court is going to do it for you, but I still think there's to 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 your point, David, we've ha- you know making this actionable in in a in Michigan, making this actionable in a place like Georgia. Such that I, I agree. I don't think it overwhelms or or takes over inflation, but each side's going to have a big motivating issue, and I think this is one, and and it's got to be organized from both the national and
1: the state level on this. I think the question is: Will, as big as this is, will Democrats view it as a, a kind of life raft and overdo it? Uh. And talk about you know I think that there are myriad ways you can uh, you can uh, you know take uh, action on this issue that go to uh, micro targeting different constituencies with messages and using it as an organizing technique that way raising money um, but I think if Democrats try and describe the election as a referendum on this issue alone. Uh, that there is danger in that Uh, because, uh, you know, the fact is people, Lindsay's not wrong, people do care about, uh, you know, the cost of living and they do care about crime in their neighborhoods and they do care about other issues. So the the art here is to do it right. And, you know, sometimes uh, the Washington Democrats, uh, you know, tend to overdo, uh, so I think you know how they do this, and uh, you know it's it's a hugely important issue. It should be front and center, but it shouldn't obscure the other things that are in people's minds. You have to at least address them. You're
2: totally right about this. Let me go backwards a bit. I want to hit the turnout thing one more because turnout is so overused in analysis. I, on cable TV the other day, my head exploded. I heard a thousand mentions presidential years, big turnout, off year, about a third smaller turnout. That's been very, very stable. Except 18. Right. Every once in a while you have a spike. So the question for the Democrats is, can we create a spike? And normally they've tried for a zillion cycles to do that, spend a lot of money on turnout, never works, doesn't change the election, very rarely. This time they have the rocket fuel to maybe get a spike. Um, this thing is going to become a social movement Uh, Just look at social media about it. If you're a college-educated woman, uh, in 70% of cases, your Instagram account is screaming. There's real power here to make it a special moment in time election, which could swamp turnout and, as Robert said, repair Biden's... Weakness with younger voters. By the way, the most pro-choice voters in the country are not women; they're young men.
1: Yes, yes. You
2: know, so so you know, there's so much typecasting about this issue. Well, it really bothers women. Actually, no, it's much more complicated than that. So the Democrats have the ability to have a fundraising spike. They have the ability to have potentially a younger voter who tend to be the worst voters at turning out in the off year, abnormal turnout spike, all of which is a big thumb on the scale for them. But if they fall into the usual Democratic trap, which is getting in, – in my old New Jersey campaigns for Christine Todd Whitman, first female governor of the state – we, we, you know, everybody assumed, wow, she's a pro-choice woman. She must get all the female votes. No, working class women didn't like her very much. Uh, and we we kind of had the French nail vote. You know, if you could afford a good nail salon, you were for Whitman. Uh, <laughs> so if the Dems leave the inflation and the price of at the cash register and the, the economic pain stuff alone and are just parading purely on this, they're going to blow it. Because th- this is their way to, to get offense with the R's and have that turnout spike, but they can't leave the the lunch bucket stuff alone, and they need to be in a much better position on that now, at uh, election day, than they are right now.
1: I've heard uh, from a bunch of people on this, obviously, since it happened, including from older suburban women, uh, some of whom were are not Democrat-inclined, who are just apoplectic about this. So it, it will be interesting to watch. But you guys mentioned uh McConnell before. You know, his advice to the caucus and his own statement said, don't talk about the decision. Talk about the leak. Talk about the leak of this draft, which is unprecedented in the history of the Supreme Court and how subversive it was, which tells you what he thinks about the political impact uh, of the decision itself. Oh,
2: yeah. No, he he's hating this. Though, just to get off my chest, the leak is really, really bad. Institutionally, it is a terrible, yeah. awful thing. And my head is going to explode. So you have to figure out who my replacement is because my brain will be splattered all over my office when I watch the cable TV. Gibbs,
1: uh, I have a list. I'll share yeah, it with yeah, you yeah, after <laughs> list, yeah, Many, many
2: people. <laughs> the ratings drop will be catastrophic, but uh, <laughs> the show will progress. No, but we're going to find the leaker And then the media, which is 99 to 1 pro-choice in their their orientation, is going to turn that person into the next Daniel Ellsberg, the great hero who subverted the process. And that is so wrong. You can debate the decision, but this is a really bad thing.
0: Well, but you assume that the leaker is a liberal then. Exactly. Maybe not. You're right. You're right. Could be. I think the leaker is likely. I mean, remember, this was a February decision that leaked essentially three months later. And to me, the idea that John Roberts wasn't attributed on either side of these votes has me believing that John Roberts is not for the entirety of walking this thing back completely.
2: Right. He was probably for the Mississippi middle step, my guess. That was a smart
0: political move. Right. That he's looking for one of those other five to peel off right into some other type of thing and that the person who leaked this wanted to make sure that the world knew that in february there were not just five votes for it but here were their names
2: right right right
0: no no it it could be true but we we don't know My, my point is no daniel ellsberg but to be clear nobody leaks anything in washington or sacramento or anywhere else without an agenda yeah, I disagree with that. Uh, walk me through how you disagree You know, disagree I, I with think, that. you know, often you're right. You were just saying they're going to turn them into Daniel Ellsberg. You think it was just like a, here's what I did at the Supreme Court with my summer vacation?
2: No, but I've chased down some leaks in other organizations, and often it's just people trying to impress reporters or, you know, it, there's sometimes a human dynamic to it. We don't know. So bottom line, if it's a leaker from the right, they straight to jail, do not pass go. Leaker from the left, straight to jail, do not pass go. It's a terrible leak.
1: You know, this is such a breach that I don't think anybody sort of casually said, hey, let me give you the most important Supreme Court decision of this generation. Let me leak it to you, though it's never been done before. Because I just want you to know how connected I am. I hope. I don't think that's, I I, I would be stunned. We can debate the motive. We
2: don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is Robert's point. There is going to be pressure now there's going to be this huge pre-decision campaign of sorts to maybe move one of the justices. And yeah. I think Robert's a wily operator maybe for that. So the micropolitics of the Supreme Court, this thing may be stapled down, but it's not bolted down yet. And that to me yes. is fascinating because the country is going to erupt
0: and the court responds to that. R- I think Robert's statement yesterday in acknowledging that The document was indeed authentic, said this was essentially a draft and not Not a a final final, court decision,
1: which added some sort of intrigue to that. So there are three possibilities here. One is that someone leaked it because they wanted to create an uproar that might cause justices to uh, turn back from the full enchilada here. The second one would be uh, justices who uh, uh, wanted to thwart uh, roberts in trying to find a more moderate yeah. th- path here then there's a another one circulating now which i think is the least likely of all of them that roberts did it himself to try and pull some no. people uh back no. which is more not his style more the stuff of mystery novels good novel though yeah yeah, but nonetheless, here
0: we are. And who knows? We we don't know that it you could guess that it was a clerk. If it was a clerk, I don't see this happening. What you gamble in leaking this is not insignificant. It could well end your
1: legal career. Yeah. Well Ellsberg went to prison, so people right. do these things. You, you know? don't get to
0: and you don't get to be a Supreme Court clerk because you're an average law student. You're on the fast track to being a federal judge. So I whoever did this was, you know, had a lot in mind. There was a lot of discussion of people like focused on the leak. The leak is definitely part of the story because, again, I I just I don't you know to your point, Murphy, I don't know the actual answer, but my guess is that there was a significant agenda involved in this. In a way, it it could be either on either side. It just to me feels a little bit more like somebody trying to lock five votes in uh, and making sure people understood that.
2: Well, or that could go either way because if you've got an agenda, there are two agendas to have: either stampede the country to stop a vote you don't like from the left or try to create something that can that can create a situation to peel somebody off from the right yep. or the center right. But anyway, we don't know. We're guessing. For right now, I'm fingering Gibbs. I, I just, yeah. I, it, I'm getting the feel. It could have been him. Yeah. Guilty dog barks the loudest. I'm, I'm, I'm getting the vibe it was, it was Robert.
1: It could. Have, for probably remembering his days as a Supreme Court clerk. <laughs> yeah, no, we yeah, know he's exactly, in the middle of right. it. They don't make a move without him. We all know that. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. Sunday is Mother's Day and uh, we all have kids. We appreciate mothers and the role they play and the things they have to put up with. And all I want for my wife, the mother of my children on Mother's Day, is the ability to put in uh, some premium wireless earbuds and tune us all out.
2: <laughs> well, we have the wireless earbuds for you, David, you great romantic. Raycon wireless earbuds are a must-have for supermoms, all those masters of multitasking who need to keep their hands free. With Raycons, they can stay entertained listening to their favorite podcast or music, plus take phone calls with Vivid Voice Technology all hands-free. Seriously, they a few of these fell off the truck when they came on as one of our valued sponsors. And I have a pair and I use them and I love my Raycons. They're user-friendly and I'm going to give them to my wife, who's a mom, and see if she likes them too because they're so easy to set up, easy to use, and they, they make the Bluetooth pairing with your phone a piece of cake. Very simple. And they come in cool colors so you can find a color that fits the personality of
0: the person you're giving it to, that special mom in your life. Yeah, with Optimized Gel Tips, they fit nearly perfectly in your ears. These earbuds are comfortable and they will not budge. Trust me, Susan won't have a hard time getting used to them and blocking out the droning of David Axelrod.
1: She doesn't budge
0: either, by the way, (laughs) for the mom on the go. Raycons offer eight hours of playtime and a 32 hour battery life with their compact portable charging case. They're priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands.
1: So tell mom how much you love her and make sure she hears it in crystal clear audio quality with Raycon. Go to buyraycon.com slash hacks to get 15% off your Mother's Day order. That's buyraycon.
0: B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash hacks.
1: Jay Mart's book came out this week, and Alex Burns. It's fantastic. Have you guys read it yet? Uh, I've got it in my hand, okay, but I good. haven't read it yet. You 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 read
2: it? You know, I've been sitting around icing a knee. I got nothing to yes. do. I'm about two-thirds of the way through, and
1: it, it's terrific. They do have a raft of polling memos that John Anzalone, our friend, the president's pollster, uh, wrote to the White House. Uh, you know, I, I was in the White House uh for a couple of years with Gibbs. Uh, I was around it for eight. Uh, I was very close to the whole polling operation. Uh, I don't think we had one ever, ever, ever had a memo, a polling memo or a poll that leaked from the White House. Uh, you know, I think that the, the you know, the fact that Anzalone found in his polling that people were uh, concerned about uh, you know issues like immigration or crime or, or crime yeah. what, what it's not wasn't particularly enlightening I guess the story was or, or surprising I should say the story was that the White House you know could have done more or should have done more but the question is how does this happen if I'm sitting there in the White House I'm thinking how the hell oh I have a theory yeah go ahead yeah I do too well, first of all,
2: I'm going to exonerate Anzo himself. We all know him. This yeah. is not his. 100%. Style. And is, they said yeah. it
1: was three people associated with yeah. the administration.
0: Yeah, just to be clear, I've been texting. I texted with Anzo. I can
1: assure you it's not him. Yeah,
2: no, no, no. Abs- absolutely.
1: He had some minor surgery this week, by the way. And Anzo, yeah. if you're listening, I hope you're feeling better. But go ahead, Mike.
2: Uh, I'll send you some of my little happy pills here, Anzo. <laughs> so so this is totally unsubstantiated, but I'll speculate. I think there is frustration in the White House staff with Joe Biden because he is not a modern communications politician. He, he wants to be LBJ on the phone to the Senate. Uh, when they tee him up, he's just not that good at it. They've been flat-footed a lot. They're getting blamed. And I think there's internal frustration— My guess is the polling loop is frustration buildup. How do we get them to do some stuff? How do we do better politics? Got wide, and somebody in that staff loop, either back to my old argument about why people leak to show how important they are to reporters. Novak, it was funny. When I first came to Washington, I got a call from fearsome Robert Novak. And he called me up, kid, I understand you're coming up in politics. Meet me at the Army-Navy Club for lunch on Thursday.
1: And I was like, wow, Bob Novak wants to talk to me. Bob Novak was kind of an institution in Washington and a – very uh, old shoe leather. Chicago Sun-Times columnist, yes. So it gets off
2: on a wrong start because I show up in a blazer and I don't have a tie. So we have to borrow a tie there. And so we sit down and Novak said, let me tell you the first rule of Washington Press, you're either a source or a victim. (laughs) So my point is, I think somebody in the staff, frustrated with their stumbling, decided to commiserate to the, uh, the thoughtful ears of, of Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns, and uh, that's how it got going. I think they have a little different culture than you guys did. I think there's more internal frustration than you guys had.
0: Yeah and I I, I love the story Murphy I didn't really I how long into the lunch did it take you to figure out that you were actually on the menu uh, uh <laughs> Yeah
2: well I immediately started leaking supreme court stuff Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly only way to get to uh get to dessert but Russert <laughs> used to do the same thing Tim Russert yeah. would call junior staffers And they'd be like, I'm the deputy comms director in some Senate office. And Tim effing
0: Russert just called me, me, me. I can not wait to tell my girlfriend. No, it's absolutely. I mean, but I think to to my earlier point on the leak, I think to me, it's somebody with an agenda, not dissimilar, probably Murphy, to what you're saying. I think it is somebody who is going to start calling Jonathan Ten minutes after the last poll closes on election night and say, see, I told you we should have been doing more on this. I'm going to it's essentially covering their ass for the short term history of, oh, I wanted to do more. And either somebody else on the staff didn't want to do it, whether it was the president didn't want to do it. But this is all again, it's the agenda of leaking to cover somebody's ass um, so they don't get blamed for the fact that we lose X number of seats. I I think that's totally it. I think it is, um, it's shocking. And you know, it's kind of surprising to your point, Ax, the inner circle in Biden is supposedly pretty small and pretty tight, like 30 years tight. And I was struck in reading Jonathan's first threat. Like I'm reading it like you thinking, okay, what's the story? The pollster found that different people are, are, um, are chagrined about things that are in the news. Um, I was like you, I was shocked that it wasn't just one leak. This was three people, three different people that basically that, that piled on here. It's, it's really, um, it's really disconcerting probably the middle circle,
2: not the inner circle too. When you have a really small inner circle, the problem is you don't have a lot of glue on your middle circle.
0: Yeah. But the only thing, the only point I would make on that Murphy is, you know, and, and X, you should, you should expound on this a little bit. I mean, you didn't. We didn't have a large loop on the polling. This isn't uh-huh. stuff that went out to huge numbers of people. And
1: I'm not sure theirs did either. I mean, which means it came from somebody really, really close. So I think the story. I guess my main point on bringing this up is the story to me is not what was in those memos. The yeah. Story. The story is what you know, it says came. about what it says about uh, yeah. the operation. And if I were Ron Klain, if I were the president, uh, first of all, if I were the president, I'd be you know, apoplectic about this. And because it was a, it was an act of disloyalty. Sure. And, and, and as Murphy says, a kind of vote of no confidence, a way of, as you guys say, a way of exonerating themselves right. for responsibility. I tried to get him to do the right thing. He just wouldn't do it. Right. Uh, and that is, uh, that's really, really worrisome for this White House, you know? Well, it's also the tell that like,
0: The iceberg is well in view, and nobody's moving the steering wheel, and the boat's going to hit it
1: square.
2: No, they're all working on their life jackets and food supply individually, which is a very bad cultural sign.
1: I just want to raise two quick things, and then we got to go to questions. And I really mean quick, so just like one thought on uh, each of them. One is, I mean, I'm trying, okay? (laughs) we're going to say, okay. Uh, You've got a pen in your hand. Just make that note to yourself. Lead on, McDuff. All right, listeners, (laughs) cancel your afternoons. (laughs) <laughs> there are reports today that uh, Biden is considering, you know, executive orders uh on student loans. He's been on a lot under a lot of pressure to the canceling student loan debts for people under uh, who are making under $125,000 a year up to a certain level, maybe 12,500 or something. And the other is still contemplating vacating this titled 42 the in- immigration uh, rule that allows them to keep people from entering because of COVID, because of public health. Both of these are big priorities uh, on the left. But it strikes me that they, they have a lot of reverb, you know, and backlash possibilities. And I'm, I, I want you guys to address very briefly the politics of it.
2: Well, first of all, um, I, we're the only podcast that needs a shot clock. Uh, all right, I'll be so <laughs> fast here. One. No, don't do the stupid college loan thing to give rich kids a way out of their debt. You've got the biggest abortion war in 50 years. Fight it and win it. Get your young voters there and fix inflation. Don't need more
0: complications. Gibbs. Yeah, my guess is that they're worried about the idea that all of these things together are what's going to get those younger voters enthused. My my biggest thing is make a decision, right? One way or the other, I think one of the challenges that Biden has had really for many months is – looking strong and looking in control and not being buffeted by events. yeah. We we could have had the last three podcasts talking about uh, some level of this student loan cancellation. Just make a decision, right? Make a decision and go with it. And to Murphy's point, if you're not going to cancel it, then great, double down on abortion and let's fight and get strong on that. But if you are going to do this, then
1: then pull the Band-Aid off and do it. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'm sure these discussions began and the impetus for them was before this decision came down so um you know which may as murphy suggests solve the problem but i'll tell you this once you sort of let it be known that you're contemplating these things it's very hard not to do them then you're then you and you're and you're also pissing people off if you don't so they put themselves in a in a bad position here so anyway we've got listeners banging down the door here waiting to get their mail answered so jeff let's do that Okay, hackers. if you have a question, send it to
2: us at hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail. Why do I always do this, people ask, because I'm a member of AFTRA. Okay, also we have the Hacks on Tap l- newsletter. It's free twice a week by email. We have a good one out today all about all this with some tidbits, including a new poll about Madison Cawthorne. He's behind. Check it all out. Sign up. It's free. Hacksontap.bulletin.com. Hacksontap.bulletin.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. All right. Question one to Brother Axelrod from Mitch. If you, David Axelrod, could build the RNC's worst nightmare in a Democratic candidate to run in Pennsylvania, what would that person look, sound like? Age, background, persona, right or left-handed, et cetera. Extra points for local flavor.
0: Hey, Murphy, before X goes... Cheese steaks. Do you have a last name <laughs> for the Mitch that asked this question? Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> no, and by the way, the answer, of course, is Don Jr., but that's probably not going to happen on the Democratic side. So X, straighten us out.
1: Pennsylvania is uh, an interesting state. You know, uh, long ago, long ago, James Carville described it as Alabama wedged between two two big cities. Uh, <laughs> but you know, there is a big working class. not as good. white working class uh, constituency in the middle uh, of the state. You have a Senate primary going on right now between Connor Lamb, who many people thought would be the strongest general election candidate, a. a independent-minded uh democrat former prosecutor military man from uh western pennsylvania uh and uh his main opponent is uh the lieutenant governor fetterman who is kind of the jesse ventura of uh of uh pennsylvania politics former small town mayor became lieutenant governor big dude uh poses with giant joints uh, you know, he's, he's, um, he's, uh, but I will say this, he looks like he's going to win the primary. He's the favorite by the left. Uh, he's, and he does have, uh, perhaps more of a populist appeal. And if you're arguing for Fetterman, you could say he might cut into, uh, some Mm -hmm. of that vote in the middle of the state. The, Issue is, uh, will he do as well as he needs to in the suburbs of Pennsylvania, which are often uh, decisive in uh, statewide races in Pennsylvania? I will say on the other side that there's a governor's race, uh, the attorney general, Josh Shapiro. Uh, he may survive the uh, he may he will be the nominee and he may survive this deluge because he is also independent minded, very local in his approach. Uh, works the state hard, seen as a kind of center left uh Democrat. I, I predict that he's gonna uh he's gonna win that governor's race there. So anyway, that's yeah, he what, could be
2: going places too. And just finally for local color, announced that Oregon Stakes miracle candidate, not Gino's
1: Tenth Street. Oh okay, yes. And and I, I just said cheese steaks at the beginning just to certify myself. Gibbs <laughs> Or just go to Permani Brothers and get a couple of sandwiches, and just you know go go Pittsburgh and Western PA. Well, let's go let's go to Murphy because a guy named David, uh, and not this David, said I'm encouraged that both Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert have primary challengers. What do you think is the likelihood that they won't be reelected? And by the way, uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene went and campaigned for Vance as well in Ohio. She's probably trying to grab some credit for that today, but. Uh, Murphy, you said you have some inside intel on that.
2: Well, there are some great patriots uh, doing some work on those. Uh, Bulbert's in pretty good shape, uh, but vote for a primary opponent. Who knows what could happen? Taylor Green has the old carpet district up in North Georgia, which means Atlanta TV, and that's a problem. The polling numbers show she's pretty vulnerable, even in a Republican primary, but there has to be a few million on television to move that needle, and, and she's got a lot of soft votes. She's way below Trump in favorability. I don't know if that money will appear for her challenger because the clock is ticking. We're talking about late May. But on paper, Marjorie Taylor Green I think, could be beat by her opponent if there's a massive influx of money into the race. Well,
1: now there will be that you said that. I'm hoping. Yeah. I'm hoping.
2: Yeah. And, and again, you can find out in the Hacks on Tap newsletter there's some interesting new news on our friend, uh, congressional screw-up Madison Cawthorn in his primary, North Carolina
0: eleven. I thought it was interesting Murphy that she was asked uh, this week uh, w- how she voted in the, in the governor's race and it may give you a sense that she, she is trying to pull all voters because obviously Trump has been very involved for former Senator David Perdue over current governor, Brian Kemp. And she, uh, uh, she told the reporter that we have privacy laws, and therefore she wasn't going to say who she voted. For. I thought you
1: were going to say that she used the same answer she used in that court case she doesn't you know, a few remember. weeks ago, or she, that she couldn't. Yeah, when she said couldn't she remember. couldn't remember, couldn't recall whether she urged the president to, to declare martial law. That seems like yeah. uh, something that you'd remember. But anyway, uh, and now Robert Gibbs, Chris wants to know. I've heard the, that Ron DeSantis is telling donors at fundraisers that he's running for president in 2024. He's raising a boatload of money, by the way, with or without Trump. Do politicians ever lie at <laughs> private, off-the-record fundraisers, or is that a political no-no? I thought the guy was going to say, or do they only do that in public? Right, I was going to say, I, look, I think
0: what Ron DeSantis is probably doing is whether or not he actually will run or not, I think he he will, and I think he doesn't necessarily care about what Trump is doing. But I think he's laying it down to make sure that donors understand what his he's he's going to do. He's not being coy with them, uh, and he wants to know wants those donors to know that he's very serious about this, and he's not going to be scared off of it. So I, I don't know whether he's lying. I don't know whether he's actually going to run. But th- there's no sense if if you're if you have it in your head, and he clearly does. That he wants to run. There's no sense in going into these meetings and saying, well, you know, after November, I'm going to take a look at it and then I'll decide sort of what to do. You know, it's lay, lay this thing down and uh, make sure that those people, as they're making their bets and think, boy, I like Trump's policies, but I don't like them in the veneer of Trump. Maybe Iran DeSantis is the guy. Now they're betting on him. Oh, he's running. He, he's,
2: he's running. And
1: he's and he is the sort of flavor of the month for people who talk about if trump doesn't run if they're if they if, if we need an alternative oh it's more than the flavor of the month he's also young you know he, he's look he's a governor with a big base he's trying to establish himself as the next guy one way yep. or the other it, it's not that he's lying he's running like all politicians
2: are running till something stops them from running yep. So right now yeah. he's intending to run either way, and my guess is he will. And, you know, look at last time. If you're from Florida, you're anteed in. Florida was enough to support two potential candidates, Jeb and Rubio. So he, he's got a ticket to the game. He's comfortable in the culture wars, and he's he's short Trump because he thinks Trump is e- either fading. Yeah, I think this Disney thing may backfire on him. I, you know, what do you take a look at the property tax bills in Orlando? But yes. fundamentally he's, he's he's in the hunt and right now early He's starting with the biggest head of steam. Very early, yeah.
1: though. Speaking about running, we got to run, guys. Before we go, one tidbit. Interesting
2: ad. Brawl in the Republican primary. Two congressmen going at it in West Virginia. Set this
1: up. Yeah, well, you have two congressmen, McKinley and uh, Mooney, right? Is yep. the uh, And uh, Mooney's been endorsed by Donald Trump. Uh, He he was mad at uh, Trump was mad at McKinley for voting for the uh, infrastructure bill. But now they're implying that he voted for that. He supported Build Back Better. So who do they pull into a Republican race to referee this? The obvious, a Democrat. Democratic (laughs) Senator Joe Manchin. Let's hear that. I've always said if I can't go home and explain it, I can't vote for it. And that's why I oppose Build Back Better. For Alex Mooney and his out-of-state supporters, to suggest David McKinley supported Build Back Better is an outright lie. David McKinley has always opposed reckless spending because it doesn't make sense for West Virginia. Alex Mooney has proven he's all about Alex Mooney. But West Virginians know David McKinley is all about us. I'm David McKinley, and I approve this message. So here's, here's Manchin, a Democrat, endorsing in a Republican primary, and the guy makes an ad out of it. Uh, it it says, A, a lot. You know, Manchin now has a 69% approval rating among Republicans in West Virginia.
2: Yeah, he's beyond party in West Virginia, special case. Effective referee ad, I think, in the end.
1: <laughs> Which yeah. is good because there's like seven Democrats. Yeah, but it also says something about, I mean, the, the fact that he's on the air uh, campaigning against Build Back Better stuff. Yeah, we we, we could we, we could leave it, but boy, I thought that was an interesting ad. No, it
0: is an interesting ad, and I mean, again, you know, he's in a state where if you get all the Democrats to vote for him, he's going to lose by twenty five points when he runs for re election. He's he he has played nobody has played for their own personal politics the last twelve months better than Joe Manchin has, and, and now it, it's it hasn't helped the the Democratic Party one bit. In fact, it's it's hobbled the Democratic president uh, quite a bit. But, you know, my, my guess is that Joe, Joe, Manning, the, the, the congressman that he, the, the, the candidate he cut this ad for probably relented by saying yes, because Joe Manchin was probably calling him every seven minutes saying, can I make an ad that kicks the shit out of Joe Back Better? I don't know. He the, loves you know, it. He this loves is a race, it. by the way. This you, I, I, just,
2: I, I, I agree with all this, but I'm watching what the era of Manchin will be when he's the holdout vote to stop the Democrats from ending the filibuster to pass abortion rights in a right. few months. Which he, which which is going to make the Joe Back Better fight look like a game of Yahtzee.
1: <laughs> this is uh, this also pits mansion against Trump. Trump's for the other guy in this race, so you know that's coming up, and that'll be interesting. Gentlemen, good to be back. Good to see you. All right, brother, feel Off better, we go. and uh, we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Absolutely. Bye.